Welcome to Eat, Drink, Innovate, the podcast about food startups, innovators and entrepreneurs who are making their mark in Australia's dynamic food and beverage industry. The future of food is happening here. Come join Susie White at the table to eat, drink and innovate. Aha! Hi everyone, I'm Susie White and welcome to episode 9 of the Eat, Drink, Innovate podcast. Today I'm talking with Harry Seekin. He's the founder of Feastively, a Melbourne-based meal kit delivery service that gives people the convenience of home delivery and the satisfaction of home cooking in 15 minutes or less. In this episode, you'll hear how Harry stepped out of a lucrative corporate career in supply chain management to satisfy a personal unmet need for fast, fresh and delicious home-delivered meals. And rather than being daunted by the presence of big food delivery competitors like HelloFresh, Light and Easy or Marley Spoon, Harry was enthused to be part of such a vibrant and growing food service category. You'll hear how he built his own food processing capability, literally buying, chopping and delivering meals when the family car was available for use, all the way through to scaling up with the advice of business mentors and doubling the business in its first 18 months of operation. And that's not all. You'll learn about the second mover advantage and how you can carve out a sizable business opportunity by filling a gap offering an alternative, or servicing consumers whose needs differ from those being served by established businesses. So, Harry, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Susie. What I'd love to do is, just in case people aren't aware of your business, can you maybe just start by explaining what you do and what your business is about? Yeah, of course. Um, so the, my name is uh, Harry, and I am the founder and the CEO of uh, an innovative uh, meal kit company based out of Melbourne called Feastively. And uh, my day-to-day work in, encompasses uh, just about everything that needs to be done to run the business, uh, whether it is coordinating manpower, uh, working with chefs, and working with logistics uh, companies, and even our uh, fresh produce suppliers. Uh, to make sure the business is running smoothly. What were you doing? What were you working as before you started uh, Feastively? And what triggered the decision to start your own business? That's a good one, Susie. This is one thing I always uh, tell people about. Uh, So I am a corporate uh, escapee. Um, I thought I was living the dream when I was working uh, my uh, previous uh, role with Treasury Wire States. I was working as the uh, product strategy manager after spending a few years in the supply chain management side of the business. And uh, it was it was a really interesting business. It was a really interesting gig. Uh, but I think uh, each year that I would sit down with my manager and, um, you know, they would ask me about, well, what's next? And I would always blurt out that, hey, I would love to start my own business. And... Um, food was one of those things um, that I'm quite passionate about. I mean, this actually comes from uh, uh, me being having uh, born and brought up uh, in India, and I've literally grown up on my mom's cooking, and that's where some of this passion for food comes from. And for a very long time during my corporate career, uh, my wife and I would come back home quite late. And uh, being foodies, uh, I didn't really enjoy having the same stuff uh, for the you know four or five days in a row. 
we would pick up you know those ready to eat meals uh, from supermarkets and uh, all we would just order food in but in the long run we realized that we were spending way too much money and still not eating right that's when I started to really hone in on the problem in most families where you have uh, both partners or parents working time usually gets spent on other things, whether it's uh, for self-development or fitness or even just relaxing at the end of the day. And that's how we started looking into what to do about making dinner a little bit easier. And given my prior experience in uh, in a product strategy and supply chain management, I said, well, what can we do to combine all of these things together? And that's how Feastively was born. And how did you hatch your escape plan? I mean, was it sort of a a moment where you said, that's it, I'm throwing in the job, tomorrow I'm going to start this business? Or or did you try and do two things at once? So for me, um, I did start doing something else. So before I started Feastively, I was trying to solve the meal planning problem. And this was something that was going to be a purely tech um, solution. And this was a project that was a bit of a side hustle while I was still um, in my um, uh, corporate career with the safety uh, net of a corporate career. Uh, but in terms of the overall plan, it, it did take a fair bit of planning. I think it took nearly a year of planning, uh, just trying to understand our uh, you know, financial situation, understanding how much savings we needed, understanding how uh, we would uh, cut down on certain things. Um, so, for instance, going to the markets early in the morning is something we do more of now, only because you get better quality produce and it's a lot cheaper than you know, going to the supermarket. So, so that whole process took nearly about a year, plus another six months of actually working on uh, implementing some of the plans that we had come up with. At the end of it, um, you know, I was still quite shaky because uh, it was literally a leap of faith. So it was quite intimidating. Uh, but at the same time, I, I knew what we had to trust our plans, but just have faith that eventually uh, I would figure out how this thing works. You mentioned your wife, Dee. Is she the other founder of the business? And what was she doing and saying when you were coming home saying, hey, I think we should do our own thing? Dee's actually not the founder, but Dee is the primary supporter for uh, Feastively. So she basically pays all the bills and uh, ensures that I can uh, ensures that I can uh, work on this full time. And it is an equal, if not more, stressful journey uh, for the partners as it is for the founders. And I realized and acknowledged that upfront, and therefore it was important for me to convince Dee that. Uh, I do have a plan to get there, but um, it's not like we were going to, you know, uh, launch a million-dollar advertising campaign day one. That gave her some confidence that uh, I might have a an idea that uh, might actually work out in the long run. So you recognised a, a personal pain point: this meal preparation, and particularly for workers at the end of the day. At that stage, what was happening in the market? Because meal delivery has kind of exploded and you have some pretty heavyweight players in that area like the HelloFreshes and the Marley Spoons and the U Foods. What, what were your thoughts going up against them? So the interesting thing was uh, because we weren't the first ones entering the market, that gave me some confidence that there is in fact a real need for something like this. 
and given the competitors were spending enough money on educating the market, I felt we would be in a much better position following them. But it's interesting that there are so many different types of services, but each service only appeals to a certain very specific segment. And that's really important to acknowledge because um, it's a bit like uh, talking about cars in that on one end, you've got Mercedes and Maseratis, and on the other spectrum, you've got uh, Mazdas and Toyotas. Uh, people who buy well, uh, you know, Mercedes and Maseratis perhaps won't buy a uh, Mazda or a Toyota. So it's important to understand how the market is segmented and only go after the market we can actually appeal to. And that's what we've been doing over the last six months, you know, just trying to figure out what that segment in the market is so that we can carve out a niche for ourselves uh, as opposed to going um, head up, head to head against some of these well-funded players in the market. So feastively, tell me about your service and who do you appeal to and how is that different from some of those other players in the market? Mm-hmm. So feastively is a 15-minute uh, meal kit and um, it's not like, um, you know, there's a celebrity uh, 15 minutes meals, uh, these are 15 minutes from box to plate, and that's because we do all the boring bits uh, for our customers. So we take care of the prep work, uh, all the chopping's done, all the washing's done. There are certain uh, elements of the meal that are pre-cooked as well. Uh, we do take all the uh, pain out of cooking these beautiful slow-cooked sauces. Uh, we just make cooking a lot easier. So it's almost like having your own personal assistant chef and we mainly uh, serve families with working parents, especially kids who have extracurricular activities, uh, picking up the kids, which is when you know things go out of hand when it comes to getting dinner organized. So feasibly works quite well uh, for those families. So we don't prescribe to any diet per se. We just want to ensure that people are eating good food, but at the same time, wholesome food. I have to tell you, I am squarely in your target market. I think I've tried every every food service out there. And what I like about yours is, one, the time, the 15 minutes, then secondly, that you have a family focus. How did you know what products to make and, and how did you find people to make them for you? So one of the first things we did when trying to figure out which cuisines to feature on the menu uh, was to actually have a look at the uh, cuisines that are actually popular in Melbourne. So you had a look at the number of restaurants uh, per cuisine and which cuisines were at the top. And we took the top five and we said, okay, we were going to present cuisines from these these sorts of uh, areas, which is how we ended up narrowing down on uh, modern Australian, Italian, Korean, Indian, and Thai. And um, so that was an interesting one because uh, we did try working on this uh, without any insights, and we realized we were creating the kinds of dishes or recipes that most people wouldn't eat on a weeknight. And, um, you know, that, that was disappointing because, uh, I mean, we had the best intent in terms of presenting something new, something a bit more adventurous. Uh, but in food, there is such a thing as getting too adventurous. So we had to pull that back a bit and ensure that we're uh, always delivering on something that people kind of recognize. I mean, they might not be 100% familiar with it, but there has to be some degree of familiarity with the um, meals that we were serving. 
Now, every time we make a delivery, we try to get insights from our customers to get an understanding of which flavors are working, which ones aren't, how we should modify the dishes. And this is a continuous learning process for us. And that's what helps us stay on top of you know, menu design and menu innovation. And where are you making the products? I mean, how did you literally start, Harry? Were you in your own kitchen? Did you have to find someone who would cook the meals for you? So on on day one, I was under the impression that if we went out and found a good contract packer, that we might be uh, in a much better position uh, than trying to do things ourselves. Uh, It just so turned out that I wasn't 100% sure about the quality that was going to be delivered. If you get that wrong even once, you lose a customer. And usually a single customer is actually more valuable than purchasing a single meal because most customers stay on with us for about 10 to 12 weeks at a time. So from that point of view, uh, I then had to make an executive decision early on that we were going to be involved in the process ourselves uh, because this was something a little bit new for the food service industry as well because uh, usually the way the food service industry is organized is they have very specialized um, inputs and outputs. So, for instance, you might be able to get sauces from one company or another company might just do chopped veggies and yet another company might just do cooked rice. But for a single organization to process all of that, package it, and then put it in a box and then send them out to the right customers, that seemed a massive challenge for the um, industry at the time. So we said, okay, we were going to spend some time on developing that as our own IP. So in the early days, like the absolute early days, I would literally run down to the supermarkets or even the um, Queen Victoria market uh, pick up all the produce, chop it up, pack it, and send it off to customers and, you know, collect cash for it just as a test. And that's what helped me understand and, you know, get a better appreciation for how it had to be packaged, how it had to be presented, what had to be done to the instructions and the recipe card, etc. So that's how we um, got to where we are right now in that we are currently a food processing company. Uh, But eventually, we might actually turn into a food processing slash uh, food aggregator such that we're then working with um, other organizations who specialize Mm -hmm. in certain types of, you know, ingredients and packaging. So you'd hoped you could have just sort of co-manufactured this and handed this over, but you had to create that service yourself. That kind of sounds expensive, Harry. Did you have to then invest in a premise and kitchen equipment and staff? We were at a stage where we weren't willing to or ready to invest in uh, plant and machinery up front until we had enough validation that this was indeed the product for the market. So what we ended up doing was literally jumping you know, in the kitchen ourselves, so both uh, Sean, my business partner, and I, Uh, to ensure that we're on top of what actually happens in the kitchen. And you mentioned also your packaging. How did you know what to put the meals in? How did you know what would work? That was a lot of trial and error, actually. Uh, In the early days, I would go into um, some of these um, food service packaging suppliers and um, even stores and we tried to find people online. I would meet them personally and, you know, work with the samples they had provided. 
I would then go out and speak with uh, people who were in the industry. Uh, so, for instance, I would go to a sauce manufacturer and ask them, you know, how do you guys actually pack your sauces? Because I wanted to make sure that we're able to pack our sauces just as efficiently as they do. Or then I would go to some of these catering chefs and who usually, you know, package uh, certain components of the meals and put them aside in cold stores, understanding through their experience as to what materials they use, um, how they store it, how long can they store it for. Um, so it was interesting because a lot of that knowledge uh, wasn't readily available. Uh, I think the food service industry in general is uh, still one of those industries that works on word of mouth and uh, you know uh, verbal exchange of information and knowledge. Did you get it right first time? There must have been a point where you had to say, right, those are the containers. Oh, no. Do you have to keep changing it or how do you manage it? No, so I think it took us at least 10 to 15 goes before we finally settled on uh, packaging material that we thought was right for what we were supplying to people. It's not perfect even now, uh, but it is about 90% there. And I acknowledge that, you know, right now a lot of packaging is being done by hand and tomorrow when we start using machinery and equipment to do some of that, you know, things might be a little bit different and we might have to use like different uh, types of packaging uh, material. But for now, uh, yeah, after about, you know, 10 to 15 iterations, we've, we've figured out what works. It's time for a quick break now, but when we come back, find out how Harry from Feastively found their very first meal kit customers. Hey everyone, just a quick thanks to today's sponsor, Rocket Cedar, who helped make this podcast possible. Rocket Cedar accelerates the pace of food and agriculture innovation. They help entrepreneurs right through the value chain from production to consumption. Rocket Cedar provides a range of structured innovation and entrepreneurship programs, high performance coaching, and builds communities around entrepreneurs, providing them with the growing conditions so they can start up fast and grow rapidly. In fact, today's guest, Harry Seekin from Feastively, he's a graduate of the Rocket Cedar Food and Ag Startup Accelerator Program. Rocket Cedar works with entrepreneurs seeking to bring new products or services to market including food and beverages, software and hardware, chemistry, materials, equipment, packaging, new processes and new business models. You could be at early stage with just a cracker of an idea or all the way to a minimum viable product or service with paying customers. So if you or someone you know is working on a food or agriculture related business idea or a startup, then find out more about how Rocket Cedar can help at www.rocketcedar.com. Welcome back. I'm talking with Harry Seekin from Feastively, and we've heard how he was unable to simply buy an existing meal kit supply chain and how in the food service area there was no written manual of best practice. Instead, Harry had to do a lot of walking and talking with existing suppliers to learn from them. In fact, he and his business partner, Sean, had to buy, chop and prepare the very first meal kit prototypes they made. 
They've also had up to 15 iterations of packaging before they felt they got it right. So I asked Harry, after all that preparation, how did he find his very first customers? Ah, so that's an interesting one. It was literally a case of showing up to, you know, people we knew or uh, acquaintances and just telling them, hey, here's what we're doing. Do you want to try it out? Um, and surprisingly, we had people wanting the product, at least they wanted to try it. Uh, of course, at the time, uh, many weren't quite up to par, but all we were really doing at this point in time was you know, just trying to understand if people would pay for a service like this and pay a premium. Feastively is positioned against takeaway and uh, home food delivery. Uh, so from that point of view, it actually works out a lot cheaper. So from acquaintances, then it became a case of asking for referrals and you know, asking people, is there anyone else in uh, your position or who somehow fits this bill of a uh, really busy parent who gets home late and struggles with dinner? And surprisingly, people would actually tell us uh, who these other people were. And even now, we're still in that stage where uh, you know we're still building on our customer base through other channels, like other than direct sales and online marketing. We're working with other businesses, so we're supplying directly into offices as well. Uh, we're working with a very prominent national gym as well, and we're also currently looking into uh, retail opportunity. And you touched on there, I'm sure one of the challenges for your business is the whole delivery mechanism and getting it out to people. How did you, how did you approach that? So it was around this time that um, startup uh, based out of Sydney called Drive Yellow uh, was gaining a bit of press coverage. So we reached out to them. Turns out it was a lot more flexible than using some of the other food delivery uh, companies. And we decided to start working with them. The way it works is they have their own fleet of drivers and the drivers have their own cars. And it's usually a case of posting a shift and um, somebody either we worked with before or someone completely new ends up picking up the shift and off they go. But one of the important things in there was around the um, cold chain logistics side of things because the food we send out is in fact perishable. And so we really questioned uh, the way things were currently being done. For a lot of other companies who were delivering stuff, they were using cold chain logistics. But because our lead time and because the delivery times were so short, uh, we found a way to keep the package chilled uh, such that we wouldn't need cold chain logistics companies uh, to work with. Uh, and as a result, we were able to work with this the, the regular food delivery company, uh, which is Drive Yellow, without compromising on the safety of the food. And Harry, what um, what is your delivery uh, area? Where do you currently deliver to? So at the moment, we only deliver to Melbourne metropolitan region, uh, usually within the 20-25 kilometer radius around Melbourne, CBD. Uh, and the plan is to expand out to uh, Greater Melbourne uh, by the end of the year. You were talking then about delivery. The delivery day of Sunday, why was that chosen? Is that is that a deliberate choice? Uh, yes. Uh, so it was more so because between D and I, we only got one car. Uh, and uh, there were days when we used to have to go and literally pick stuff up from our suppliers because 
the order sizes are so small that they wouldn't actually deliver to our premises. So we actually end up using the car as literally a mule to go and pick up stuff, uh, bring it to the kitchen, process it. And on days when we didn't have enough orders, I would literally jump in the car myself and uh, make the deliveries. Um, the good thing with that, in fact, was um, we used to get an opportunity to go and speak with the customers. So that was another reason for using the weekend. And the other reason for Sunday was also that traffic is a lot lower, so we're burning less fuel. And the uh, final reason was that for families who hadn't quite done their weekend prep, at least they would still have food on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday with Feastedly. I do think that's a real point of difference for you as well because, you know, I'm certainly in the greater Melbourne area and I could only get my food deliveries on something like a Wednesday or a Thursday and I was never there to receive it. It really worried me that it was sitting on the doorstep for potentially a whole day. (laughs) Now, quick question for you. So tell me, how did you find the suppliers? Because you're very much about local and using local produce, aren't you? That's correct, yes. Again, this was a long journey for us because in the early days, we would literally rock up to the market ourselves. And uh, it was a case of you know just opening conversations with some of the vendors and trying to figure out how much how many of them uh, actually source local produce and how many of them were using uh, you know Australia wide or even imported uh, products. And we honed in on a few of the vendors that we wanted to deal with on a regular basis. And then from there on, we moved into a wholesale model. That, um, so they have access to you know the Victorian fruit and veg wholesale market. And as much as possible, I mean, I still acknowledge that, you know, uh, with the kinds of ingredients that we use at the moment, it's not every week that we get 100% of Victorian produce. Um, Some weeks we do end up getting a little bit of Australian stuff. um, And uh, if we do get caught up with certain dishes out of season, uh, it gets supplemented with some of the overseas stuff. But in any given week, at least 80% of the fresh produce that we send to our customers is Victorian sourced. So um, that was, a, that was again, a tricky one. In fact, that is something we're still trying to address uh, right now. And Harry, when did the business actually start? When did you go live and, and how big is your team now? So we incorporated the business back in February, uh, but we didn't start doing any serious sales until September last year. And it's only last month that we started seeing uh, signs of really good growth. In fact, we doubled our revenue uh, last month compared to March. Uh, and we're on track to uh, continue to grow the, that, those numbers. And uh, we have a core team of two people. And we're supported by another two people uh, who work as service providers um, uh, for marketing purposes. And then on top of that, we do have um, three advisors, uh, regular advisors, that we approach for various different challenges and problems. I can think of a lot of startups, Harry, who would love to get some business advisors on board. So how did you find your advisors and what sort of thing do they help you with? So late last year, I was part of a uh, food and agriculture accelerator called Rocket Cedar. And... uh, through that, we picked up uh, one of our advisors, which is Matthew Pryor. Um, he's also the chairperson uh, of uh, Rocket Cedar. 
And uh, then through the course of Rocket Theta, we had the opportunity to meet some industry leaders. And um, one of our uh, advisors is Emma Welsh from Emma and Tom's Juices and Snack Bars. And uh, finally, we have Stuart Haynes from Haynes Consulting Group. He helps out small businesses. These are the people that I liked a lot uh, in terms of the advice they would offer and in terms of the way they would advise as well. Previously, when we were going out and meeting people, I mean, there's a lot of people who have advice, but it's not grounded in direct experience, whereas the answers or the advice I end up getting through these advisors is extremely sound and therefore very specific uh, challenges that we face on a day-to-day basis. I can appreciate how that would be invaluable, particularly as a founder when you've got so many questions. So looking back, you're a year into the startup journey. Is it what you thought it would be like those days back when you were sitting in your corporate cubicles? Not at all, not at all. Uh, Because uh, I was used to seeing the trajectory of a new product introduction into market from a corporate lens. So, which meant within about six months it would go to full scale and it would go through international distribution. Uh, trying to do that with a relatively new concept with an unknown brand and very limited resources is, in fact, I would say about 10 times harder than I'd imagined it would be. It's not that I'm disappointed by it, but uh, uh, if... Uh, if I knew uh, it was going to take uh, you know a year to two years to establish ourselves in the market, I uh, I would have uh, built up bigger buffers of uh, cash reserves uh, upfront. What are your hopes for the future? What do you What are you thinking? How high is up for Feastably? So as a business, uh, we believe we're operating in a market uh, potential of um, six hundred million dollars across Australia. And that's only looking at uh, Victoria and New South Wales. I want Feastably to be a you know tens of multiples of uh, millions of dollars in terms of business size, because the growth potential for something like this is tremendous. And as long as we're able to acquire our customers and keep servicing them with the best possible quality, uh, I think we'll be on to a winner in the next couple of years. And uh, if there are any other people out there thinking, yeah, I've always wanted to start my own food or beverage business, what words of advice would you have for other food entrepreneurs? So um, this was a mistake I made myself, and I always tell people not to make this mistake. Usually with food entrepreneurs, they, they, they create a product and they almost fall in love with their own product without fully understanding the customer's challenge or the market challenges uh, my advice to anyone starting a new food business would be fall in love with the problem or the need in the market because the way that need and problem need to be addressed might change um, and so will your product have to adapt to those changing needs. So it's extremely important to be problem and need focused as opposed to product and solution focused when um, coming up with the a new innovation for the market. That is fantastic advice. If people would like to find out a a little bit more about Feastively or subscribe to the services and get on the meal plans, um, where can they do that? Where can they find out more about it? So the best way to do that, uh, Susie, would be to jump online on our website. It's www.feastively.com. 
And uh, for all your listeners, I've got a uh, very special offer. Uh, I'm happy to offer $25 off their first purchase if they use the coupon code EATDRINK. And uh, for those who want to come on board with a meal plan, uh, I'm more than happy to offer them uh, 10% off their uh, meal plan on an ongoing basis. This is a lifetime discount. I don't do this for anyone usually, but... uh, because uh, people are coming to you to discover uh, food innovation uh, and uh, what's new in the space of food, um, I'm more than happy to help them with their uh, weeknight dinners. And I'll uh, provide a special code for that as well, Susie. And if you could uh, uh, post that in the uh, podcast description, that'd be great. I certainly will. And thank you for that generous offer. I will make sure that people have very clear links to that in the show notes. So look, thank you, Harry, for sharing your inspiring startup journey. And uh, I I wish you every success in the future with your business. Thank you so much, Susie, and thank you for having me on the show. Aftertaste, the sweet taste of success. Thanks for sticking around. This is the part of the podcast when I think back on my chat with Harry Seekin from Feastively and reflect on a lesson to be learned from his startup story. Now, I can absolutely see Harry's previous corporate experiences coming through as he approached the setup of Feastively. He's been very methodical and disciplined and deliberate about the development of his business. He's focused on clarifying the consumer need. He knowledge gathered to find the right suppliers and preferred meal choices. He built numerous meal delivery box prototypes to sense check the offer and he built from the ground up a sustainable supply chain. But the thing that really stood out for me is Harry's willingness to enter into what some might think of as an already crowded marketplace and be willing to go head-to-head with major established players in the meal kit delivery business. And this brings me to a concept I'd like to talk about today, and that is the second mover advantage, which I believe Harry is leveraging, and it will enable his business to continue to grow in this competitive space. So what do I mean by the second mover advantage? Well, it's the advantage a business gets from following others in an existing market. Now, being a first mover or first entrant is often really attractive to entrepreneurs because of their desire to be the first to tap into a new need and capture market share before anyone else does. However, being the first to market with an innovative idea is also inherently risky. Even if you've done your homework and know that your product will satisfy a real need, you might not know how to change current consumer behavior or how to attract those consumers, or the best way to position your breakthrough product. In tech sectors, there's a tendency for one single player to emerge and dominate a specific service area, like Facebook, eBay, or Amazon has. However, in the food and beverage industry, as consumer needs are becoming more fragmented and personalized, we thrive on variety of choice. And in large categories, it's perfectly acceptable and advantageous to be a second, third, or even later entrant into a growing and sizable market. The way you do this is by leveraging what already works. 
and Harry really recognised this with Feastively. The bigger players had already trained people how to behave and what to expect when opting into a meal kit delivery service. For example, people already knew they needed to subscribe online, uh, choose a meal box size to suit the number of people eating. They know that they can select their meal preferences and that there's usually a set delivery date once a week. So Harry didn't have to start from scratch when creating Feastively. He knew he could leverage some elements of the existing meal delivery services to shape his own business. The real secret to leveraging the second mover advantage is to learn what you can from these existing businesses and then focus your efforts on filling a gap, offering an alternative or servicing a large portion of consumers whose needs differ from those being served by the existing businesses. And this is where Harry focused his time and effort to identify the opportunity for faster and easier meal preparation. Feastively's key difference is mise en place. That's a French culinary term for having everything ready in place before cooking. And I do apologize for my accent with that. So Feastively's meal kits arrive fresh, pre-cut and marinated, and it only takes one pan and three easy steps to cook. For someone who faces washing up three to four pans a night, that's a benefit I could really get behind. So despite popular belief, being second to market or even replicating an existing product can make for a great business, especially in a sizable marketplace. It's lower risk and the very presence of competition can encourage the delivery of even better products or services. And Harry knows that the market opportunity for home-delivered meal kits in Victoria and New South Wales alone exceeds $600 million. Now, that means there's plenty of room for his business to compete and grow alongside the incumbent players. So what does all this mean for you? Well, when you're looking for a new business opportunity, instead of trying to find a whole new problem to solve or create a breakthrough product, maybe you could use the second mover advantage and look for a need that you know is already being satisfied by other product and services. You just need to find a way to offer a valued alternative in a low-risk way. If you'd like to try the delicious 15-minute meals from Feastively, you can go onto their website, www.feastively.com, and get $25 off your first purchase by entering the coupon code EATDRINK. Or, thanks to Harry's generous offer, you can get a 10% lifetime discount on a Feastively meal plan by entering the coupon code EATDRINK1. Just don't forget to check the delivery service to your area within the Melbourne metro region. Well, that's it for this episode. Many thanks to my guest today, Harry Seekin from Feastively, for sharing his food entrepreneur story with us. And thank you again for listening. I really appreciate your comments, feedback, and online reviews. It's making it all worthwhile, and it helps me focus on the stories that you want to hear. Join me next time to eat, drink, and innovate. Do you have any suggestions about successful food or beverage entrepreneurs and innovators in Australia that you think Susie should be talking to? You can get in touch with her at eatdrinkinnovate.com.au forward slash podcast and find all the show note links and innovation resources there too. 
And if you like this podcast, please help others discover it by leaving a review on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts from. 